And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day to look at this national need that we seem to have to actually try to come together as a country, to try to bring people together across party lines, Republicans and Democrats, ideological lines uh, between conservatives and uh, progressives, uh, gender lines uh, to bring people together between those who believe there is such a thing as two genders and those who believe there are 49. And uh, we will talk about all of that and what stands in the way of America unifying. Uh, America unifying over a whole range of issues. There was one issue this morning where actually it was very moving to watch it. Uh, the president of Israel, not the prime minister, not Prime Minister Netanyahu, but the president of Israel, which is largely, as people have pointed out, a ceremonial post, but the presidents of Israel have included some of the most famous leaders in Israeli history, uh, beginning with Chaim Weizmann, who, uh, together with David Ben-Gurion, was considered one of the people who actually set up the original state. He was the first president of the state of Israel 75 years ago. A uh, current president who is the son of a previous president of Israel, who is the grandson of the longtime founding chief rabbi of the Israeli rabbinate. Uh, Isaac Herzog spoke today in a joint session of Congress. And as somebody who would go on to high school in the United States of America, middle school and high school, because his father, who later became president of Israel, was Israel's ambassador to the UN, he had been in New York. And so Isaac Herzog speaks perfect English. It was a pleasure to hear him. And uh, the bipartisanship of Congress in responding to uh, Pramila Jayapal. I think it's the greatest achievement of her entire time in Congress. We'll be speaking to one of her colleagues who has no problems at all expressing his enthusiasm and his support for the state of Israel, uh, for the struggle of Ukraine, for independence, and, uh, and, and much more. We'll be speaking to Representative Adam Smith, who is uh, also a senior Democrat and a very pro-America, pro-defense uh, Democrat. He was chairman of the House Armed Services Committee until the Democrats lost control of Congress. We'll be talking with him about where Congress is going and bringing Congress together. There's also reports, remember, we've been giving some attention to no labels, right? And... <laughs> <laughs> the whole idea of no labels has been to bring people together, mixing a ticket, having a Republican for uh, running for president or maybe a Democrat running for president and then the other party running for vice president. Well, it turns out that with all the ideals that they have uh, about bringing people forward, uh, there are now some very serious splits in the no labels camps splits over issues what is that we will get to that later in the michael medved show we will also be talking about a 40 million dollar ad buy 
and a mysterious deluge of money hitting one of the conservative Republican candidates for president. And then, no, it's not Ron DeSantis, and no, it's not Donald Trump. Who is it? And then the one aspect of the Donald Trump story that Trump himself has never addressed and that the press seems to want to hide, and I don't know why, but it has to do with uh, some of the problems he may be having with Jack Smith. Uh, we will open the box. We will actually take a look at the possibilities of a very real prosecution for wire fraud. Uh, what does that mean? Why is that uh, inappropriate or appropriate concerning President Trump and his legal future? We will get to all of that on the Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, first of all, there was uh, the speech this morning by Isaac Herzog. It was boycotted by a handful and when I say a handful, it's fewer than 12 members of Congress did not attend. And uh, it basically it was the people you would expect. It was the uh, Pramaya Jayapal and uh, her other colleagues in the so-called Progressive Talk Caucus. There were others who didn't attend. But they had just taken a vote, uh, basically, which was introduced by Kevin McCarthy and a, a Republican congressman from Texas. Uh, and the, uh, the vote was overwhelming. And uh, as it's reported in the Washington Post, the House on Tuesday, that's yesterday, overwhelmingly passed a resolution pledging unfailing support for Israel condemning anti-Semitism and declaring the country is neither racist nor an apartheid state, and an implicit rebuke of Democrats who have criticized the nation ahead of an address by its president to a joint session of Congress. The, uh, the actual vote was 412 to 9. And here is what it sounded like today when President Herzog, uh, who is considered a, a moderate, in Israeli terms. At one point he ran against Netanyahu, but he seems to have a good working relationship with the Prime Minister. And here is what he said about America's significance for the state of Israel. Uh, listen. I'm not oblivious to criticism among friends, including some expressed by respected members of this House. I respect criticism especially from friends, although one does not always have to accept it. <laughs> but criticism of Israel must not cross the line into negation of the state of Israel's right to exist, <laughs> vilifying and attacking Jews, whether, whether in Israel in the United States or anywhere else in the world is anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is a disgrace in every form, and I commend President Joe Biden for laying out the United States' first ever national strategy to combat anti-Semitism. <laughs> our collaborative capabilities, coupled with our mutual beneficial partnership, are the key to the future of our children. To us, it is clear that America is irreplaceable to Israel and Israel is irreplaceable to America. 
Uh, this is uh, uh, is very touching, and uh, frankly, it was very touching when he spoke about uh, his relationship to his father, who also had given a a uh, joint an address to a joint session of Congress when he was president of Israel. And then, of course, because he's Isaac Herzog, he can talk also about his relationship with his uh, grandfather, who was uh, the chief rabbi of Israel at the time of the independence of the state. Uh, this is uh, actually an amazing story, because anytime you can get 412 votes out of the 435, in uh, the Congress of the United States, who are the uh, the the magnificent twelve, so-called, or actually it's magnificent nine, nine people voted against the resolution that said Israel is not an apartheid state and is not a racist country. Uh, they were uh, Rashida Tlaib. We're going to hear from her later. Uh, Representative uh, Jamal Bowman and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez of New York. Cory Bush of Missouri, Andre Carson of Indiana, one of the three Muslims in Congress, Summer Lee of Pennsylvania, Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Ayanna Presley of Massachusetts, and Delia Ramirez of Illinois. Um, okay, what does all this mean? Uh, we will be speaking coming up to veteran Congressman Adam Smith about the future of Israel, the United Michael Medved show, uh, talking about the debate in uh, Congress over the uh, claim that Israel is a racist nation, a claim that was made and then <clears throat> brought back, uh, walked back by uh, uh, Pramila Jayapal, the uh, chair of the Progressive Caucus in Congress. Uh, they write in the New York Times, Karun Demirjian uh, writes, Republican members raced to put this resolution on the floor this week after Representative Pramila Jayapal, Democrat of Washington State, and the head of the Congressional Progressive Caucus called Israel a racist state, prompting condemnations from leaders of both parties. Yes, including Hakeem Jeffries, the uh, Democratic leader in the House. Ms. Jayapal later walked back her comments, saying that she had not meant to condemn the idea of Israel, but only the policies of its current government. But the GOP pushed ahead with the vote in a move Democrats denounced as politically opportunistic, even as they all lined up to support it. Um, and when they all lined up to support it, uh, there were uh, only 10 members of Congress who didn't support this resolution. The nine Democrats I mentioned to you, mostly the squad, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and, and her col collaborators, and then uh, Betsy McCollum, who is a Betty McCollum, a representative from Minnesota, who took the courageous position of uh, not voting. She voted present. Uh, just one law lawmaker stood up on the House floor to argue against the measure, underscoring both the broad support for Israel in Congress 
and uh, the belief of many of its uh, critics uh, that uh, it's, it's not going to go well for you on Capitol Hill if you decide to take off, as Rashida Tlaib regularly does, on uh, the issue of Israel and of Congress. Do we have, um, we have a Rashida, there she is, uh, clip number nine, uh, she basically talks about Israel and the comparison with South Africa. This uh, is Rashida Tlaib, the gentle lady from Michigan. I am the only Palestinian American serving in Congress, and I have a fam family members all throughout the West Bank and what many people call the illegally occupied territories. But we're here again reaffirming Congress support for apartheid, policing the words of women of color who dare to speak up, about truths, about oppression, is just not what we should be doing here in Congress. And let's just get this record straight here. This is not something that's made up. The United Nations, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, Israel's own largest human rights organization, Beit Salem, all agree that Israel is an apartheid state. To assert otherwise, Mr. Speaker, in the face of this just body of evidence is an attempt to deny the reality and to normalize violence of apartheid. This week, we're going to hear consistently that, the, you know, people touting about like, oh, this is bipartisan support here. Well, don't forget, this body, this Congress supported the South African apartheid regime, and it was bipartisan as well. Okay, okay, the South African regime, uh, which was apartheid, did not allow black people to serve in public office. In Israel, there are Palestinian Arabs who are members of the Knesset. I believe there are 15 uh, Palestinian members of Knesset now out of 120, uh, which is a little bit less than their percentage of the population. But 20% of the citizens of Israel are Palestinian. Uh, there's a Palestinian justice on the Supreme Court Heads of the scientific academies are people who are senior positions at the Weizmann Institute, at Hebrew University, uh, and throughout uh, the Technion, which is uh, the Israeli MIT, there are Palestinians who participate in that. There is no enforcement of preventing people from uh, attending the same beaches. Now, by the way, there are a lot of Palestinians who are religious Muslims who won't go on the same beaches in Tel Aviv as Israelis because there are uh, there are women who are wearing bathing suits uh, and sometimes those bathing suits are not modest and the same way that uh, there's no enforcement that there are going to be different beaches for uh, ultra-Orthodox people, for Haredi people in Israel and non-Haredi people, yeah, they'll go to different beaches, but that's a matter of choice. It's not a matter of law. And the whole craziness of apartheid was that people were treated differently under the law uh, in very fundamental ways based upon whether you were black or white. Now, are Palestinians treated differently under the law in one big area? And what's the area? They're not obligated to serve in the army. Why not? Uh, they are allowed to serve in the army, and there are increasing numbers of Palestinian Israelis who do, but that's uh, very different from being required by law 
to serve in the Army and then to come back uh, for reserve duty every year until you're in your 50s, which is what the obligation is for the Israelis, like my three nephews who are currently doing their reserve duty uh, after they're having served in the military. That's actually hard to say that this is a, a form of discrimination uh, against Arab Israelis, especially when Arab Israelis are able to serve when they choose to. In fact, uh, the Druzim, uh, the Druze, uh, who are a major minority in Israel, there are about a half a million of them, this is an Arab uh, offshoot of Islam where they have a remarkable record in the officer corps in the Israeli army and in terms of winning uh, medals for valor and distinction in combat, the Druze are remarkable. They're mostly in northern Israel and uh, also a Druze community on the Golan Heights. But uh, uh, most other Democrats argued forcefully in uh, favor of the measure. This is a measure uh, rebutting the notion that, Tal uh, that Rashida Talib put forward about Israel as an apartheid state. Most other Democrats argued forcefully in favor of the measure. Israel is not perfect. This is uh, from Representative Kathy Manning, who is a Democrat of North Carolina. Israel is not perfect. It has challenges in politic policies that are openly criticized, often by the Israeli people themselves. But Israel is not now and never has been a racist state. That characterization is contrary to the facts. It is untrue and unfair characterization that slanders our strongest ally in the region. That from a Democrat, meanwhile Republican Michael McCall, Republican of Texas, Chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, argued the resolution was necessary to combat small-minded opinions about Israel and ensure that Congress continues rejecting false accusations and repulsive anti-Israel statements. Uh, we'll talk about the future of foreign policy and national security issues in Congress. Uh, a new poll shows that Americans are unsure about whether we should protect Taiwan, if necessary, with military force. We'll talk about that and more with Congressman Adam Smith coming up. Remember what you were doing four years ago at this very... Michael Medved Show, it is always an honor and a pleasure to welcome back to the show Representative Adam Smith, a Democrat, Washington. He is the ranking member of the House Armed Services Committee and uh, subcommittee ranking members, uh, uh, Joe, uh, are, uh, are elsewhere in, in the Congress. And uh, they issued a statement together with the uh, other ranking members of the Armed Services Committee uh, about the work of House Democrats in crafting the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 2024. Uh, first of all, uh, Congressman Smith, you were there this morning for the joint session to hear the President of Israel, Isaac Herzog? Um, I wasn't. I listened to it. I had meetings, so I watched it on TV. 
Oh, I, and uh, what did you sense of generally about the the mood in the Congress, the vote on the resolution uh, basically saying that uh, Pramila Jayapal was wrong. And so, by the way, she voted for the resolution herself saying she was wrong to say Israel yeah. was a racist state. The final vote was 412 to 9. Uh, I, I assume you voted in the majority? I did, yes. Now, look, I think the mood is there's overwhelming support for Israel. Um, in Congress and in a bipartisan way and, you know, across the country. And I think that, you know, the, the president's speech this morning, President Haratz, and that vote, I think, reaffirmed that very strong support um, in what is a very, very difficult time for, for Israel in the Middle East region. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and again, uh, the so did the invitation by uh, President Biden apparently he had a phone conversation with the Prime Minister of Israel, yes. with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, and the reports are from both sides it went very well, and Netanyahu is coming for a visit. The big question is, will the visit actually be in the White House? I can't believe that we're arguing about this. The visit will take place apparently later this year. Is that your understanding, too? Yeah. And then, look, I mean, there's two big issues going on here that I want to make sure we get to. Number one, you know, groups like the ones that showed up at the Netroots and protested the, the speech there you know, have a very clear and very, I feel, radical agenda. And that is they don't think the state of Israel ever should have been created in the first place, and they don't think it should exist today. That's why they insist upon language like Israel is a racist state. They insist upon language that disqualifies Israel as a state because they don't believe in a two-state solution. They believe in a one-state solution whereby Israel ceases to exist and the Palestinian Arabs take over the entire landmass. And that's why a number of us push back so hard against those groups. It's not that we don't have sympathy for the Palestinians. We do. But we certainly don't want to look like we're supporting groups that don't recognize Israel's right to exist. And that's why calling Israel a racist state is such a wrong thing to do and something that we all need to push back strongly against. So that's that's number one, to make sure people truly understand what that language means. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, another issue facing the Congress recently is on the National Defense uh, Authorization Act. Uh, there were 80 members of Congress, uh, which is a minority of the minority of the Republican side, who uh, voted to cut off 300 um, million dollars from aid to Ukraine. Uh, that was overwhelmingly. Uh, voted against, and that was not added. It was pushed by Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and others. Uh, were you worried at any point in that debate that uh, more Republicans would would vote against President Biden's policies in Ukraine? No, I think there's a very strong bipartisan level of support in the House and the Senate for supporting Ukraine. You know, my broader concern is whether or not that small minority can exercise undue influence and clog up the gears of that policy. They don't have the majority. They, you know, they don't have the support. They only have a majority of the Republicans. You know, but they have proven themselves rather adept at stopping things from happening even when they don't have the votes. 
And that's what we need to be concerned about going forward. As, as you and your listeners well know, Ukraine is engaged in a very, very tough counteroffensive right now to try to retake the portions of their country that Russia has violently and illegally taken from them. They need our support. And at some point in the next three or four months, they're likely going to need another supplemental. Will, be, we, will we be able to get that through? Even though it's got majority support on both sides, will Speaker McCarthy be willing to put that up and push it forward if this small minority within his caucus doesn't want him to? That's, that's the big worry. There was a new poll released today from Real Clear Opinion uh, Research Poll where they asked, uh, is NATO still essential to U.S. national security? 77% of Americans said yes. Uh, only, only 23% said NATO is no longer needed. I know from previous conversation you're a strong supporter of NATO, especially, I suspect, with the addition of Sweden and Finland to NATO ranks. Absolutely. Look, it's important to understand that Ukraine is certainly about Ukraine. Ukraine deserves to be a sovereign democratic state and not allow Russia to violently take that from them. But it's also about the broader world order that we're trying to work towards, towards an idea that we ought to have a rules-based system in this world. We should limit the ability of countries to simply bully their way forward. Russia's trying to do it. China's trying to do it. We are trying to set up international institutions, build partnerships and alliances to try to figure out how we can work together to resolve our differences. So NATO is part of that. NATO is the reason that Western Europe remained free during the Cold War. And you can look at look at Eastern Europe under the Soviet Union, Poland, Romania, the Baltics, you know, repressed states with economies that were barely functioning. When the Cold War ended, and they embraced economic and political freedom, they are now prosperous states that are enjoying that political freedom. It is a better way to govern. It is a better way to live. But you've got to be willing to defend it, and that's what NATO helps do. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that, but I think that baseline, this is what we're trying to accomplish, and this is why NATO is part of that broader approach um, to our global differences that hopefully gets us to a more peaceful and prosperous future for all of us. This same poll, uh, they asked another tougher question, uh, and the question was, how should the U.S. respond if China invades Taiwan? And 39% said the U.S. should take military action in case of invasion from the mainland. 35% percent said uh, no, so it's virtually a tie. A minority of people support military defense by the United States of Taiwan. Your reaction? Number one biggest thing we need to do right now is deter China from making that attack in the first place. And the way to do that is to support Taiwan's ability to defend itself and to build up our coalition of partners in the region, Japan, the Philippines, Australia, India, others to stand up against China and make sure that China doesn't think that it's possible. So deterrence is the key right now on Taiwan. And uh, that is uh, obviously uh, something that uh, both parties have to work on. And one of the reasons, of course, that people put forward for uh, remaining uh, supportive of Ukraine 
is to send a message to China regarding Taiwan and other imperialistic impulses they may have. Uh, Adam Smith, his most recent material uh, and positions uh, are found at our website at michaelmedved.com. I wish you uh, the best for the rest of the summer season and uh, strength <laughs> and confidence and capacity to uh, do more in serving our great country. Uh, when we come back, uh, the, uh, the latest from uh, the anti-Israel chorus of the extreme left, coming up on the MedNet Show. Michael Medved show uh, one of the uh, Democrats who uh, decided to boycott the uh, speech this morning to a joint session of Congress and it was actually a very uh, I think informative and uh, pleasant speech to watch because there were all kinds of bipartisan gestures and all kinds of gestures of respect and connection between the state of Israel, whose president was addressing the joint session. Uh, Kamala Harris was standing there next to uh, Kevin McCarthy, the Speaker of the House, and the President of the Senate. That's what the Vice President is. And uh, uh, meanwhile, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez saw nothing of that. Uh, why didn't she attend this particular session? Uh, she uh, comments on it on clip eight. Will you attend this address tomorrow? I will not be attending. There's currently a crisis of democracy and apartheid. Um, and I think that this is something that has been a consensus among human rights organizations. Okay, there's a crisis of democracy and apartheid as compared to the uh, the. the democracy and apartheid in any of the Arab states. The the whole charge of apartheid is so ridiculous. It's one of the reasons that I've actually devoted a great deal of time and energy, as you know, to leading tours of Israel and to going to Israel so people can see it for themselves. It, it's a shame that only about one out of five of American Jews, let alone American Christians have ever been to Israel to see it for themselves. Actually, I think the higher percentage of evangelical Christians actually have been to Israel. Because when you see the mix of various people in, uh, who are just part of Israeli reality, it's, it's extraordinarily different from what you hear from the propagandists. Uh, for instance, uh, there's a... Um, uh, actually, uh, the the nickname of the president of Israel who spoke today uh, before the joint session of Congress, Isaac Herzog, his nickname in Israel is something that he got when he was a baby. And the nickname is Bougie. And that doesn't mean someone who's like bourgeois, but he's referred to as uh, the same way that uh, Netanyahu, his friends all call him Bibi. And Bibi at one point was running against Bougie for prime minister. But, uh, okay, uh, 
a bougie didn't win, BB won. So where do they get bougie? Bougie is apparently a name his mother gave him when he was a baby. And it was a combination of a booba, which is a way in Hebrew you refer to a little doll, you know, like a baby doll. And uh, there was also, uh, that was combined with the name Juju, uh, which comes from his mother's French-speaking background in Egypt. His mother was Egyptian-born. And the majority of the Jewish population in Israel, of the Jewish population, is people not from Europe, is not re uh, refugees from the Holocaust. The majority is people who are refugees from Muslim states, from North Africa, from places like Iran and Morocco in particular, like Egypt. All of these places used to have large Jewish communities, but they were driven out. There also are over 200,000 Ethiopian Jews now in uh, Israel. They represent almost half of the Tel Aviv Police Department. A lot of them have gone into police work. And uh, again, when you go to see Israel and you see people of all kinds of different complexions because those uh, what they call Mizrahi Jews, Jews from the eastern parts of the world, uh, places like Morocco and Iraq and Iran and Egypt, uh, there is a darker complexion than you have people who are Jewish people from Germany or Russia, for that matter. Uh, this also is important in the context of what Joy Reid had to say on her TV show when she was trying to give people a miseducation in the history of the Middle East. Uh, listen, this is 22B. And, and I just want to put up a couple of maps because the occupation is in and of itself illegal, right? I mean, the UN has been very clear there's supposed to be an Israel and a Palestine. But let me just show you the West Bank. The West Bank is supposed to be this little, this whole strip that you see there. All those red dots and parts of it are the settlements. You could actually make that bigger because there's also a whole line, a whole big, big area that comprises about 60% of the West Bank that is also used for security zones and uh, nature preservatories and all sorts of ways of saying Palestinians basically have almost nothing left. If you look at the map of Gaza, it's basically like a, a, an open-air prison. Palestinians who typically would be fisher fishermen um, would, would fish in uh, the, the, the water that you see there. They can't because if they go a certain amount, they get shot. It's, it's impossible for people to survive this way. How has the international community done nothing about this? Uh, it's been decades and decades of this. Okay, th this is, of course, outrageous and, and foolish and... It goes back to this idea of trying, quote, to restore uh, Palestinian independence. There never was an independence in Palestine. Uh, the areas that she is talking about were actually part of Jordan. That's the West Bank. Uh, when there was the UN actually voted for partition in 1947, the Jewish authorities all agreed to go forward with partition so that there would be a state of Palestine and there would be a state of Israel. That was turned down by the Palestinian authorities and by the surrounding Arab states that proceeded to invade 
uh, the Jewish settlements that later became the state of Israel. And in other words, the idea of turning down a reality of Palestine, that was not a decision that was ever sanctioned or pushed or promoted uh, by the founders of the state of Israel. It was promoted by Haj Amin al-Husseini, uh, the a Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, and other Palestinian leaders of that time. You can find this in our um, Medved History program on why they fight, which is a uh, six-hour total uh, background on the whole history of this conflict. The, the stupidity of the claim that... Uh, you take a look at the dots, and these are Israeli settlements, and then the claim before by Rashid Taleb that there's planning for expulsion of Palestinian population from the West Bank. The only expulsion that is planned is the reason that they've made no progress on the idea of negotiation is because part of what the Palestinians demand is that the Israeli residents of the West Bank, of the Yehuda and Shomron, that those residents be dislocated, be taken from their homes, which in some cases they have lived in for 50 years or more. Uh, and the idea that you're going to uproot 400,000 people from their homes, why is it considered so impossible that 400,000 uh, Jews could live among about two million Palestinian Arabs in a future state of Palestine at the same time that you have basically two million Arabs living uh, in the state of Israel in a general population of about 10 million in the state of Israel proper. That, it seems to me, is a, an example of double standards that is very serious. Speaking of double standards, uh, there is a, a, a big argument going on about is it ever too young to confront people with gender ideology? And uh, there is a, a prominent therapist uh, who writes frequently for the Wall Street Journal. Her name is Erica Komisar. She's going to be joining us. And uh, she says that uh, gender ideology is not kids' stuff. Psychologically and emotionally, uh, most aren't ready for it. And uh, why is it then that some leading pro-transgender uh, uh, spokespeople say that uh, it, it's better that people should change their gender before puberty so they go through the quote right puberty what does it mean to have a right puberty or a wrong puberty we will get to that and much more coming up in this greatest nation on god's green earth